Well, good morning again. Before I read the scripture, I'm going to ask that you pull out a little piece of paper from your program guide this morning, and I want to point out something to you that's about to begin. We are beginning a series of messages next week and small group experiences called Spiritual Crises. A spiritual crisis is when you encounter something in your life that you did not expect that changes the way that you think about life and faith and God and what you believe. And, and I wrote this tagline, it says, nobody wants one, but everybody needs one. And what I mean by that is that often sometimes the things that are most uncomfortable for us in life end up being the things that open up new ways of thinking and, and intimacy with God. We polled the congregation uh, several weeks ago and I said, what are, what are some of those things that, that trouble you, that plague you, that worry you, that concern you, that have forced you to think differently? And these were the five things you came back with. The problem of suffering, the difficulty with doubt, what is the Bible itself, how do I forgive, and the last one is anxiety, anxiety and depression. Those are the five things that you came up with. So that's going to be the five subjects. So let me tell you how you can engage with it. On Ash Wednesday, on March 6th, through the end of next week, we're going to make curriculum material available for we produce for you. And we want you to use it in your small groups. You could also use it individually if you chose to. We're also hoping not only will our groups do, but maybe some of you will take some of the booklets and the guides. Uh, you can get them online too, but take the booklets and guides and form a group with some people you work with. Work through the study book with your spouse, with a friend, a group of people. Just gather some people together and say, hey, for five weeks, we're going to talk about these five things. You can get those materials next week. The other way to engage uh, with it also is on Sunday nights, we're going to be doing a deeper dive experience. And by deeper dive, I mean I'm going to be here in the room. Anybody wants to come and ask questions and talk at a deeper level about the subject matter, we'll come back, come back at 5.30 on Sunday nights. And each night we'll be inviting guests. You know, March 10th, I've invited um, Maria Price. Maria Price is the executive director of the St. John Center for the Homeless. And I invited her to come and talk about suffering and God and where is God in the midst of suffering. And she deals with suffering on a daily basis uh, with the homeless at a great ministry in our city. So I hope you'll take advantage. I think it's going to be an experience. And I would ask you to do one other thing. Pray for me. Uh, these are difficult matters to talk about and subject matters. And um, it's going to be uh, an intense time of preparation for me. And so it's, but it's also going to be a time of conversation. So you ready for the word? I'm excited to deliver the message this morning. And uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand because it's a little longer text this morning than usual. I want you to take it in. I've chosen to read the whole story because I won't do justice to the story just telling it myself. I want you to hear it from the scripture. And then I'm going to do something I don't always do. I'm going to flip back to a couple of references in the Old Testament and then flip back so you can hear the context of what's happening in the story. I call this the miracle within a miracle because Jesus is on his way to heal a woman, uh, a, a little girl, and then in the way he heals a, a woman who is ill. Here's the story. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they had been waiting for him. 
A man named Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. He pleaded with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a 12-year-old, was dying. As Jesus moved forward, he faced smothering crowds. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had spent her entire livelihood on doctors, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the hem of his clothes, and at once her bleeding stopped. Briefly from Leviticus 15, it says in Leviticus 15, verse 19, that whenever a woman has discharge of blood, that is her normal bodily discharge, she will be unclean for seven days. And anyone who touches her will be unclean until the evening. And it's like 10 or 12 verses of why this woman can no longer be in public. And someone who has this condition for a period of years would be virtually made into an outcast. Anything they touched, any person they touched, would make them ritually unclean. And it was forbidden by the law for them to go anywhere near other people. So you get the story? She touches Jesus, and Jesus says, Who touched me? When everyone denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she could not escape notice, she came trembling and fell before Jesus. And in front of everyone, she explained why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Daughter, your faith has healed you, Jesus said. Go in peace. And while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house saying to Jairus, your daughter has died, don't bother the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he responded, don't be afraid, just keep trusting and she will be healed. When he came to the house, he didn't allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother, and they were all crying and mourning for her, but Jesus said, don't cry, she isn't dead, she's only sleeping. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Numbers chapter 19, listen to this verse. The person who touches the body, the dead body of any human being will be unclean for seven days. And it's all these instructions around the dead. You cannot touch the dead, it makes you unclean and forbidden to be in public or anybody else. So you get the picture? They laughed at him because they knew she was dead, and taking her by the hand, Jesus called out, Child, get up. Her life returned to her. She got up at once, and he directed them to give her something to eat. Her parents were beside themselves with joy, but he ordered them to tell no one what had happened. This is a reading of the Word of God, and God's people did say, isn't that a great story? I mean, it's just it's an amazing story. I, I'm, I'm just so excited to preach this story this morning. I've spent all week thinking about it. It's just touched me so deeply. Here's the place where I connect with the story. It's the same place where you all connect with it. It's desperation. Have you ever been desperate? I mean, really desperate. Have you ever been in a situation where... There was something that had happened in your life that was beyond your control, and you couldn't fix it. You did everything you could to try to make it better. 
And at some point, you realize that unless I got some help from somebody else, this was not going to improve. I think we all know what that's like. It could be when someone that we love, we love with every bit of our life, and we are slowly watching the life slip out of them as the disease takes over their body. It could be a marriage itself. No matter how hard you work and try to make it work, every step is two steps back, and, and you just can't make it work, and you try and you try, and at some point you realize, I don't know that I can fix this or I can save this marriage. It could be something that happens in your business life. Maybe you lose your job, and you're six months down the road from finding a new job, and you're running out of your income, you're running out of your savings, and you don't know what you're going to do because you've got a son in college, you've got a mortgage to pay. Or maybe, maybe you put a bubble around your child. You know, you wanted to prepare your child for life, and you did everything you could to take care of them, and then they got around the wrong people, started hanging around the wrong kids, doing the wrong things, ended up in the wrong situation, and everything you tried, they just kept getting... Fr you ever been, has you ever been desperate? I mean, have you ever really been desperate? I, I think we know what desperation feels like. That's the story. Two desperate people. You know what's interesting about desperation, about sickness and suffering, is it makes everybody the same. Here's this wealthy, prominent man in the community. He has wealth and influence. And here's a woman who has no influence and no power, and nobody even probably knows her name. She's poor, and yet they're on the same level. That's the thing about sickness and suffering and desperation. It makes us all the same. So desperation, desperation, sickness, suffering is no respecter of persons. This, this man was probably one of the wealthiest men in the community. He was the leader of the synagogue in Capernaum. He was a man of intelligence and influence and power and was well known. People loved him. But here he was. You see the desperation in his story. All the other religious leaders in, in Israel had rejected Jesus. And now suddenly he finds himself needing help. And he tells us that his only child, his 12-year-old, his 12-year-old daughter, whose whole future is in front of her, is dying. And in desperation, we see him falling at the feet of Jesus for help. And then we see this other woman. Uh, this woman, she has been, what, sick for 12 years. And if you read some of the other gospel stories, you can learn a little bit more about her. Mark fills in a little, bit of the, a little bit of the picture. It says that she's been sick for 12 years, and during these 12 years, she had some means or income, and she went to doctor after doctor. She spent all the money that she had, and instead of getting better, she just got worse and worse and worse, physically worse. And to make matters worse, she was ritually unclean. She was a social pariah. She could not be in contact with anyone else. Can you imagine, can you imagine 12 years without friendship? Can you imagine 12 years without being able to be in public? Can you imagine 12 years feeling like you've been condemned and scorned? And here's the problem with this story. There, there is a, a, a religious curse placed on her. She could go back and look in the book of Leviticus, and she could read that she was a condemned person. I heard somebody say this one time, and I think it's probably true, 
that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. Am I talking? Am I telling the truth? Sometimes, sometimes instead of being a place of comfort, Christians can be a place of scorn and condemnation. We can care more about principles and rules than we care about people and compassion. And so that was the story here. In this time, in with the you know, so with the synagogue leader and with her, everybody was saying, "What did they do wrong? Why did? Why is God punishing them? Stay away from them." You see the desperation. The desperation this woman felt is the same kind of desperation that we all feel with an extended illness. Anybody here ever care for a, a parent or a loved one who had dementia? I've watched women in our church and men in our church care for loved ones with dementia and it sometimes will last a long time and how isolating it can be for the spouse that's caring because eventually it's just the one person caring for the one person who can't remember them anymore and they lose all their friendship when my father died my mom had lost all her friends and all her company because all she did for five years it's isolating, it's lonely it's desperate let me ask you what makes you desperate? So here's, here's then is why Luke tells us this story. The story doesn't end with desperation. I want to point out to you the reason Luke puts this story here is not only to show us the amazing love of Jesus for desperate people, but to show us what faith is. Okay? Let me give you a definition of faith. Faith is courageous persistence. Faith is doing whatever it takes to get ourselves in a position where we can get the help that we need. Faith is taking action on what we believe. Faith is just not believing good things, hoping for good things. Faith is pursuing good things. Faith is doing whatever it takes to put ourselves in a place where God can help us. You see it now in the story. Faith is taking action. You can walk in here every day and pray that your life is going to be better and hope your life will be better. But if you don't do anything to make your life better, your life will never be any better. You can come in here and worry about your health and pray and hope your health will be better. But if you don't work out, you don't eat better, you don't go to the doctor, your life is not, God's not going to come in this room and just, I mean, it happens sometimes. I just don't see it happen very often. You have to act. We have to take responsibility to and put us faith accompanied with action is faith. That's why all over the Bible, it talks about by faith they did this, by faith they did this, by faith they did this. So in this story, we see this man leaving his pride behind and going to Jesus for help. Forgetting his power, his prestige, forgetting what people would think, going to Jesus for help. And then we see this woman. Think about this woman. She's been ostracized for 12 years. And she is crawling on her hands and her knees just to touch him because she's heard he's good. Think about all she had to overcome to get to him. That's what faith is. So let me give you an example. Go back in Luke earlier. There's a story. There's a paralyzed man. And four of his friends say, Jesus is in town. We're going to take you to him. He may be able to help you. They put him on a gurney. He said, no, no, no. He's trying to resist them. 
They take him to Jesus on the gurney, these four friends, and they get to, and the house is so full they can't get the man inside. So with courageous persistence, they take the man up on the roof. It's really kind of comical, getting him up on the roof, and they dig a hole through the roof, and, Lord, and Jesus is teaching, and, he, and dirt's hitting him on the top of the head. He looks up, and he sees this man lowering through the roof into the crowd. He gets in front of Jesus. The four friends are looking through the hole in the roof, and you know what Jesus says? The faith of your friends has healed you. Why? They took action. They took him to Jesus. Luke chapter 11, another story, it says, hey, suppose you had a, suppose you had a friend and you had some people come in from out of town. Jesus tells this parable. Your, your friend comes in from out of town and you need food. You don't need bread. So you go down the house, you go down the street, you knock on another friend's door, bang, 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 at midnight. Hey, I need some bread. I got some friends in town. And the guy goes from and says, hey, it's after midnight. Go away. My kids are asleep. They got school tomorrow. And I'm tired. I'm with the house is all locked up. And then Jesus says, you know what? Eventually, the friend's going to give him the bread because the friend's not going to go away until he gets his bread. He's not going to give him bread because he's his friend. He's going to give him the bread because the guy just won't shut up until he gets his bread. And he says, that's what prayer is like. Ask, and you'll receive. Knock, the door will be open. Seek, you'll find. That's the description of faith. Then later on, Jesus tells another parable. He's talking about prayer again. And what does he say? He says, there's a judge, and he's, he doesn't care about God, doesn't care about anybody. He's a hard man, but there's this widow who's harder than he is. And she just keeps going and going and going and pestering this judge until this judge will weigh in on her case. And eventually, Jesus says, the judge gives in because she won't give up. That's what faith is. When you have a loved one, you have a family member, a person in trouble in your life who's walked off the edge, who's in a scary heart, you don't give up. You just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep pressing. You do what you have to do, and you just keep, you know. We have parents who love their kids for decades, who continue to make poor choices, but they just keep, because that's just what you do. It's faith. It's faith in action. Praying, hoping. And it's not giving up. Crawling, doing whatever you have to do to get the help that you need. And here's, this is the part of the story where I get so, I get so filled with just emotion and love and feeling and just I can't even say what I feel inside because the reason we're able to, to, to pursue and to fight, why? Because Jesus is so good. Jesus reveals who God is. Jesus tells us that God is not that ugly, score-keeping, judgmental, condemning religion that pushes people aside for principles. Think about Jesus in this story. He has the opportunity to make an incredible splash by winning over the, the most powerful man in the community by healing his daughter. But on the way, what does he do? He sees the one that no one else can see. He feels the one who no one else can feel. And he stops. She touches him and makes him unclean. He's willing to be interrupted. Nobody else can see. Nobody else can see her. She's invisible, but he sees her. He sees her and looks at her, and he says, well, oh, it's so powerful. We read the words, but can you imagine what it was like for that woman to have been isolated for 12 years to hear the Savior of the world look at her and say, daughter? When was the last time she heard anybody call her daughter? My 
God's little girl. And he heals her. Doesn't push her away. Why? Because with Jesus, people come before principles. Compassion comes before law. And Jesus came to set the record straight that our God is a God of love and mercy and kindness and not condemnation. And then he goes to the house. Oh, boy, I'm, I'm going to start preaching now. Uh, I'm telling you, he goes to the house and... See, she broke the law when she touched him. Now for him to go in the house and to touch that dead little girl, he's got to break the law and he faces a decision. Do I break the law and save the girl? Or do I keep the law and let the little girl lie? Jesus broke the law. He can't be controlled. He's a wild man. He's a wild man, a radical, inclusive, wild-breaking love that just spills out of every part of who he is in his words, his actions. He touches the sick and the dying. He doesn't follow the rules of normalcy because he cares about people. And he breaks the law. And it's a good thing that Jesus is a lawbreaker. You want to know why? Because if he was a lawbreaker, this room would be empty this morning because no one would be able to come into this room. This room would be empty if he didn't break the law because according to what you would read in Leviticus and Numbers, we are all lawbreakers. We've all touched something. We've all done something. We have all, as Paul said, fallen short of the, the love and mercy of God. We have all have fallen short. We're all unclean. Read through the book of Leviticus and you will all find something in that book that disqualifies you. And how dare we ever look at another person and disqualify someone else from God's grace when we ourselves are unclean to? We, we have so much to be thankful for. So much to be thankful for that we have a God that chose to enter into our human experience and to show us who God is. And here's the powerful thing. When courageous faith courageous faith, faith that takes action when we pursue and we go and we don't give up and we don't quit is matched with courageous love. Lives change because with Jesus, what's dead doesn't stay dead. Oh, in the story, in the other story, in one of the other gospels, there's a whole crowd of people saying, don't bother the teacher anymore. The little girl is dead. There's a whole bunch of people out in the world that want to say he's dead and she's dead. They're behind hope. As long as there's a God in heaven and a Savior, Jesus Christ, at work in his church, no one is beyond hope. No one is beyond help. No one is beyond grace. Let me end with this. The little girl. She couldn't help herself because she was gone. And I want to acknowledge this this morning, that there sometimes comes a point in every person's life when maybe you've just been so beaten down you can't get up anymore. You can't crawl and you can't fight. It's just been one thing after another and for all purposes you've just, I'm done. It's understandable all that you've been through. 
It's understandable. And let me say this to you. Hear the words of Jesus in the story. Let him take your hand and believe when he says to you, get up. Just stand up. Take his hand. All around us, all around us are people who have just given up, who have been scorned and beaten down and hurt and wounded. And I want to tell you, you know what we have to do, church? You know what we have to do, church? Church, we have to be like Jesus. We've got to go and we've got to touch the dead. We've got to embrace people where they are. We have to be willing to get dirty. We have to be willing ourselves to go and touch and, and meet and embrace and do that work because all around us are people who are not seen, who have been forgotten. And no, Jesus in his physical presence is not walking around as he did 2,000 years ago. But he's still alive at work in us and in his church. Courageous faith, courageous love, lives are changed.